Can we borrow that guy? Oh, my days. That was amazing. Hey, good morning. See me. How you guys doing? Well, I'm, thanks for having me back. I want to I wanna welcome our Panamanian friends, uh, Joseph and Lynette Collins from Panama. Buenvenidos. Buenvenidos. Uh, they were out there for a church conference, and our church is uh, very connected throughout the world, and uh, it's awesome that we uh, get to be a part of that. You know, we're also connected, Shoreline, that's where, I'm, uh, that's where I serve, and see me, we're, we're one big family. So I've done this series uh, for Shoreline, I thought I'd share it with you, uh, this really this amazing story. One of Jesus' greatest hits is the prodigal son story. What's ironic is that the main thrust of the story is not about the prodigal son, it's about the brother, the older brother. But he comes later. If you ever invite me back, I'll tell you about him. Next you know, and we're going to look, we looked at the first week, we looked at the eyes of, you know, the story of the eyes of the prodigal and what he did and where he was at and how he was you know, prideful, and he was spent, and he was broken, and then he got humbled, and they celebrated, and, you know, you related to that probably because you were a prodigal. Right. You're sitting here going, I, I understand that story. While you were being a prodigal, or if you're a prodigal right now, we're going to look at the story of the father, okay. that he, he's, he's really the relative, the, the dad in the picture of a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. Now, you got to remember why Jesus is telling the story. Because sinners were coming around Jesus. And certain people didn't like that. They were religious people. And they thought you weren't good enough to be around that guy. And so they began to mutter. A good example is when one day Jesus was hanging out at Simon the Pharisee's house. A woman came in and broke a perfume and started cleaning his feet. And then the, the Pharisee thought to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him. They're all about who, who's hanging around the rabbi, who's hanging. Only certain people could hang around spiritual people. And so that was why Jesus tells this story. Really great story. If you've, if you've ever had, if you have children, I know many of you do, there's no greater joy than to see your children come to faith, come to humility, and surrender their life to God. There is no greater joy and it pains any parents to see their children turn away from the godly values and how they were raised it pains any parent and at one point we've had parents that we've disappointed um and and now you know you may have kids that have, may have already grown up and maybe they're still prodigal, or you're in the moment where they are prodigal, or they're in the phase of, this baby can never be prodigal. I don't know what phase you're in, but this story will have an impact on your life if you let it. So the father in the story had two sons, you know, and they were both knuckleheads. They weren't very great. One ran off, another one, when he came back, was like, what are you doing here? You know, they weren't, they weren't good. They weren't, they weren't really walking in humility. They weren't walking in a humble manner. They weren't walking with maturity. And the father's confronted with a very difficult situation in his family. And it's not easy. And we're going to take a look at how the father reacts to this very difficult situation. And we're going to learn, hopefully, how to guard our own hearts if this ever happens to us. What do we do and what can we emulate from the father in this segment of the story? And now, so I have some points for you to consider this morning. 
if you ever find your, when and if you find yourself as a parent realizing that your children have drifted away from what you believe or what you value the most. This is a compelling story. And the story describes what God is like and how Jesus uses the story to teach the muttering Pharisees what God is truly like because they were upset that Jesus was hanging out with sinners. So Jesus was, it was like a church setting. Imagine a church setting. And Jesus is, I mean, he's, he's, he's saying, if you, don't, if you don't value me more than anybody else, you can't follow me. And all of a sudden, he starts attracting these sinners. They're like, tell me more about this. And so more and more people were starting to follow Jesus, you know, and just sit at his feet and listen. But the Pharisees who came over, they didn't like those people. And so what they try to do is they try to discredit Jesus. It's as if, as if you came to my church in Shoreline and someone says, hey, your minister, Gio, and your minister, Joe, last week I saw him hanging out with some perverts. I saw him hanging out with guys who are addicted to drugs. I saw him hanging guys who I know they chase girls. I saw him hanging out with guys who I know get drunk a lot. I, I saw him hanging out with guys who curse. How come they're hanging out with those people? Because if I'm hanging out with perverts and scumbags, that must mean there's something wrong with me. And that's how they decided to handle Jesus. If you're hanging out with them, something's the matter with you. And so Jesus can hear the shade being thrown on him. He hears the shade. He sees it. Why is this man spending time with sinners? And Jesus goes, oh man, that's a great question. Glad you asked. Let me tell you two quick stories. There was a man who had 100 sheep. He lost one. And, he won, and that one, he goes and he searches and he finds it and he brings it back. And you're thinking, why are you bringing back a stinky sheep? Let him go. No, 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 no. That sheep has value. Yeah. That sheep is an asset. It's a commodity. And the rancher's excited to get the sheep back. He's thrilled. And so part of the story, this man has two sons. And what the father is going to demonstrate here in a moment, I'm going to show you, is that the father gives a ridiculous amount of grace. I mean, it's crazy. Look what he does. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. You know, when you read that, you almost want to insert what you think should happen. The, da the dad backhands the son. You almost want to insert in your mind that's what this kid deserves, right? So he divided his property between them. You know, it's the oldest son who's supposed to get two-thirds, not because he's the favorite, but because after the father retires or can't do it or passes away, he's in charge of the entire family. He's responsible for everybody. And so this younger son is saying basically, Dad, I'm so frustrated, Dad. I'm so frustrated that you're still alive. I'm so frustrated that you're not retired yet. I'm so frustrated. I'm super bummed about that. And I want your money, but I can't get it till you're dead. Man, at this point, I wish you were. Can I have my inheritance now? And if your son or daughter said that to you, 
in my family, you got the junk on immediately, <laughs> without hesitation. You got beat until you left the house. <laughs> and you know what the dad does? You're right, son. It stinks I'm still around. Okay. All right, son. I'm still alive, and i got to take care of everybody. But I'm going to cut out one-third of everything. Well, I'm still alive. I'm going to give you one-third of our net value, and I'm going to give it to you now. And people are wondering. If, there's, if you're listening to the story that Jesus is telling, they're going, what's going to happen to the inheritance? You know, the sheep, the coin, and now the inheritance. That's a lot of value. You know, there's this, there's this theologian who went out to these villages out in the Mediterranean. And he was just, they were just trying to minister and bring Jesus. And, and so part of, his, part of his experiment was to ask him about the prodigal son. Hey, has this ever happened in, in your village? Have you ever had a son go? And, the, and then the, da the dad says, here. And they go, no, this has never happened, nor will it ever happen. That's not how we do things around here. And what I'm saying is this story is so radical. Not only to the culture back then, but to the culture now. It is so radical. Because the son is petty. And he's greedy. And he's out of line. And he's obviously not the value of the story. The inheritance is right. But the story also speaks to us. The father is being, is, is, has something taken away from him. He's, he gives it. But in our lives, someone's taken something from us too. It's a good chance you're married to that person. Right? Or maybe it's one of your kids. Or maybe it's your sibling. Or maybe it's your parent. Someone close to you has taken some value from you. Maybe they treated you like an object. Maybe they value what you own versus who you are. Maybe they didn't just look at you as valuable. And you, you know exactly who I'm talking about. You, you can picture that person in your mind right now. And I just want to say to you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know what that feels like, too. And it's painful. And in and this story, the father doesn't lecture the son. I don't know why not, because I always lecture my kids. I always try to find time for a good lecture and any mistake they're making, right? We got to get in there, right? The father doesn't even do that. Shocking, right? So we know that this is amazing because, you know, the father is full of grace and truth. And we know we need both. We just can't have one or the other. We have to have both, right? So my second point is let your faith carry the relationship until their faith catches up one he was just he was just given a, a, a crazy amount of grace the second thing your dad realizes that hey i'm gonna carry this relationship i'm gonna let my faith carry it until my prodigal son's faith catches up Amen. that's what he does it's crazy look what he says not long after that the younger son got all together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living and after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to the citizen of that country, 
who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, I love that Jesus throws pigs into the story just to, just to put it in because the Pharisees were like very legalistic and you can't eat pig and you can't eat this. And, you, and Jesus, you know, is a Jew and he throws baby back ribs into the story. I mean, it's just funny. I want to laugh and cry at the same time. It's a sad story, but baby back ribs to make the point that the kid can't even feed himself and he comes to his senses. And he says, how many of my fa father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Make me like one of your high. If you are listening to this story at the moment, if you're the one muttering about who Jesus is hanging out with, you're going, no, 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 no. You don't leave the family and squander a third of the estate and then come back and say, oh, my bad. No, 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 no. It's not okay. You betrayed your people. You betrayed your religion. You betrayed your family. No. And for those listening to the story, it's not like the earlier one where, you know, because the two squanders, it's not like the estate is coming back. They're realizing the estate is gone. The value is gone. There's no lost sheep. There's no lost coin that got found and got returned. There's no value coming back. If you're, if you're one of those guys listening going, where's the value? Where's the coin, the sheep? And for those listening to the story, it's making them a little bit uncomfortable. Because where's the value? I don't like the sound of this. So he got up and he went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. I mean, this is absolutely stunning. It's like the only thing I can compare it to is when I realize Bruce Willis has been dead the whole movie. <laughs> it's like one of those moments you're like, what? What? He's dead? It's one of those, I can't believe this has just happened. It's the sixth sense. You haven't seen it. It's a good movie. <laughs> most people listening to the story is like, your dad is going to beat you stupid. But the father's looking for him. And you're listening to the story and you're going, wait, don't you dare. Gee, don't you dare tell me the value in this story is the son. Don't you dare tell me that. That son is useless. That son is greedy. That son dishonored you. Don't you tell me that he is the value in the story, Jesus. It can't be possible. Don't say that to me. Because I'll mutter some more. But it's a big contrast to the other stories. The object of value is what I'm saying. Are the ones that actually are, that you love that are hurting you. Yeah, I'm talking about your spouse. 
She's the object of value. He's the object of value. Your prodigal son or daughter, they're the object of value. That's why this story is so gripping. It's one of the greatest hits of Jesus. Because in that culture, if a son tried to return, the village would actually try to would go out and meet the son as the father just reclused himself and didn't want to be connected to the shame of the son. The father would be emotionally distant. But in this time, what they had in that culture was a, was a, was a ceremony called kazaza. And, they, and the town would go and defend the honor of the father. And they would go out and meet the son before he entered the village. And they would bring out a clay pot that symbolized resources, that symbolized unity, that symbolized family, because everyone had to eat from the pot. And they would grab the pot in front of the son, and they would break it in front of him and smash it and say, you are not welcome here. That's what they would do. So that's why the story, the father got up and he went to his son. He went. Before the town got to his son, he got to his son. That's what the father is like. And the father, knowing that Kazaza would happen, knowing that the town would defend his, armor, his honor, knowing that he's supposed to be back and emotionally distant, he gets emotional and he kisses his son, throws his arms around his son. The father wants to define the outcome in his strength and in his time. I don't want to be defended. I want my son back. I want my daughter back. Is that not what we want? They're the value of the story, though they hurt us the most. They're the most valuable things in our lives. This is why he lets his faith carry the relationship until their faith can catch up. This is what the father is doing. The father wants to get even. Not the get even that you and I think about. That's a different get even. When someone wrongs us in a relationship, our get even is like, you're not even, you're beneath me now. You're down there. I'm up here. That's our get even. And then we double down, we treat them wrong because they hurt us. And so they're there now beneath us. That is not even. When you're in a position of power, like a parent, or you're in a position of influence, and you lift a person up after they've hurt you, that's even. That's getting even. Our getting even is nothing like that. That's what this dad is doing. He's making it even. I can't even comprehend that at times. I, I'm just thinking, Jesus, that I'm not Jesus. Because that right there is not what I experienced for 18 years. Okay, 25 in my mother's house, I'm going to say it. Fine. It's Latin, you know, they don't want you to leave. They just say, hey, stay here. You know, sorry. That's what I did. The father made things even. It's absolutely stunning. When you've been wronged and you're in control or if you have power, it will reveal more about you than anything else in this world and how you respond. It will reveal more when you're in power or when you're in control. This is why we have to remain suspicious 
that God is up to something good. I'm not strong enough, Geo. I'm not good enough. I can't stand my younger brother. He should not be treated well. I can't do it. Then, then do this. Just be suspicious that God may be up to something good when you feel you can't handle it. I dare you to think about that. Because that, in essence, is what Jesus in the story is teaching. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's the first smart thing he's done the whole story. Amen. Maybe do you think maybe that, that this is what the father had in mind from the beginning? When he had a son who had a dumb idea, wishing he was dead, and giving him, an, giving him the portion of his inheritance. Maybe the dad's like, maybe you'll have to wait until I die. And then he'll finally learn that life, was me, life with me is better than life with my money. Or maybe this is the moment when I'm still alive, I can extend grace so that he learns that I'm better than a third of my wealth. This is an amazing, compelling story for all those who are listening back then and for those who are listening now. But there are some of us in this room who decided years ago that you don't want God calling the shots in your life anymore. And you'd rather have the life he gave you than him. We love the blessings of God. But we don't want him. We want the blessings. We want the good relationships. We want the fellowship. We want the church. We want things. This is awesome. But I don't really want him. And you've wasted something. Maybe you wasted your time. Maybe you wasted years of strength. Maybe you probably wasted some money. Maybe you're like the son who shook his fist at his father and God and said, ah, but God allowed you to run off. God allowed you to go on your own. God allowed you to, 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 for you to conclude that your plan was horrendous. When you know what I learned in my life? When I discover something terrible, that, when I discover it, I really start to change. When someone's always pointing it out to me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever, I'll minimize that. But when I discover it, I'm like, whoa, have you read the Bible? Genesis chapter 1, it's amazing. It's this incredible book. I mean, it's amazing, you know. When someone's telling me to read this, read that. But when I discover something in the Bible, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Right? Maybe he let you make those decisions. Because maybe he's up to something good. Maybe right now you're making bad decisions. Maybe, maybe he's up to something good. Maybe he is. But you have to have the courage to believe that God is in the middle of our mistakes. He's very comfortable making decisions in the middle of our mistakes. That's what's so astonishing about this story. Don't let your past slow you down on the way to your party. Don't let your past slow you down on the way to your party. The story concludes, but the father said to his servants, 
Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger and sandals on the ring. Bring that organic, free-range, fattened calf over here because we're finally going to kill it. For all the vegans, I apologize for the boldness of the scriptures. But that calf has been waiting for a long time to get eaten, and it was only for special celebrations. At $15.99 a pound, it was worth the kill. Because the son had returned, and the father wants to celebrate this amazing return. And the town is going to be shocked that I'm here with my son. I don't want Kisaza. I want my son. I want my daughter. I want my people. So Jesus to the Pharisees, you want to know why I'm hanging out with sinners? Because my father is not some rancher who's happy with just getting his property back. My father doesn't care about, you know, the income and the inheritance. He cares about me. He cares about you. He cares about these people. And you should care about him too. That's what he's saying. We get a glimpse. When God gets a glimpse of you just deciding to turn to him, he runs. He doesn't want Kazaza. He doesn't want to shame you. That's what probably you experienced your whole life. You do something stupid, then someone close to you shames you, thinking you're going to change. Just, just let that sink in for a second. You do something stupid, they're going to shame you, and you're going to go, I get it now. That's how we live life. We live in a culture that is just infatuated with blaming. Yeah. It's infatuated with that. And here's a glimpse that when God sees a sinner turn, he runs. He wants to be with him and wants to be with her. Let me say something about something about the story, about resentment and holding on to it. Because some of us are in the habit of doing that. We get hurt and we get resentful and it almost comforts us when we go to sleep. Yeah. Resentment. Like it's like, it's like, and, and we don't, we just ball it up and it's, it's terrible. And you're holding yourself to the mistakes of others. You're almost punishing yourself for other people's mistakes. You know, I have this nasty, terrible characteristic about me. And my family knows it full well. If you're in my family and you're close to me, and you do something wonderful and good, my instant reaction, like, man, that was decent. Th that's how I react to something wonderful. I'm like, eh, as expected. <laughs> you know, I see other dads when their kids score soccer goals. They're like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I eh, should have scored two, missed one last time. <laughs> I had some, some, one of the guys in church, you know, when I said this to, to Sean, I goes, yeah, I was at your soccer game and I saw you and you should have scored a goal and you were just walking like he had, you know, done something wrong. I, 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 I just have this thing inside me that I hate, that I wish it was more like praising and amazing. 
And that's my characteristic that I have to overcome. So I've been trying to practice really hard. When my children do something decent, that I'm starting to praise them. Because it's so hard for me. It's probably a reflection on how I was raised. I didn't receive a lot of compliments. So I overcompensate and I always lift myself up. At home, I go, oh, wasn't that awesome? See that grass? Ooh, who did that grass? That was pretty good. <laughs> Who's working on the garden? The garden looks spectacular, guys. Who's working on that? And it's all me, right? That's what I do. I have this flawed character. And I'm flawed. And I don't praise. And I'm so unlike the Father. I have my chunkle in my hand. It's what I'm like. I'm more like the older brother of any of the characters in this story. But if my friend's kid scores a goal, oh man, what a wonderful goal that was. Your children are amazing. And my kids are like, what's wrong with my dad? I'm like, they're watching this. I'll praise your kids, but I don't praise my own. You think, oh, because Gio's so happy and fired up. No, I am. But I have this flaw in me. That's why the story, it attracts me. And I discover things about myself. But I'm going like, man, I got to do a lot more praising. When they were little, I did praise them. Like, good job. You took a step. I was all fired because, you know, I'm a, and I'm praising them because I want you one day to leave. Yes. 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 Keep doing good. Yes. 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 When they're little, it was so easy. Now they're older, have personalities, have agendas, have, have issues, have schedules, have demands. I'm not praising. I'm like, what are you doing? When I hold on to grace, or when we hold on to grace, we hold on to the celebration. And that's what I want to do. So guess what? One of my kids did something really dumb this, this week. All my friends were in Panama, so I didn't want to call them because they're in Panama. So one of my kids did something really dumb. And I go, oh, great. Everyone's gone. What do I do? I need someone to tell me what to do with my kid. So I sit back and I think, what do I do? And then I thought about that. So we talked. She was humble. She's like, I don't know. I messed up. Boom. <clears throat> so she comes home from school. I go to Vaughn's. And I buy a fattened calf. <laughs> put her on the grill. <laughs> put Montreal. Slather that thing up. She comes home to a fattened calf celebration. And then my son, tip off the old dad's block. Did you get this out of the freezer and want to save some money, dad? No, son. I went to Vaughn's and I bought this with my money because we're going to celebrate. Because when anyone decides to change, it's a time for celebration. So I put this into practice. And I tell you, it was the best 60 bucks ever spent in my life. I mean, it was awesome. And I loved it because I discovered something from this, this story. 
I discovered that I want to be like the Father. I don't just want to be a good example. I want to be like the Father. I want to be emotionally praising my children. So we can react two ways. One, we can hold on to resentment, or one, we can be redemptive. Because there's someone in your life, there's someone in your, in, your, in your circle of mission love and people that God has put around you in your life that need some grace, that need your grace, that need you to, to, to reach to them and show them the grace. That's what they're needing. That's why this story is so important. So we have to decide, do we want to be a redemptive people? Or do we want to hold on to the resentment? Because that is our choice. Because this is the eyes of the prodigal son through the father. Thank you for your time.